Hi, this is Mandy Griffin. And I'm Katie Swalwell. And welcome to Our Dirty Laundry. Stories of white ladies making a mess of things. And how we need to clean up our act. Hi guys, quick trigger warning, although I mean, when you've listened to any of these episodes, you know our whole episode library is a trigger warning, Um, but this episode does discuss allegations of sexual abuse and incest. Just wanted to make you aware before you listen in. Hi everybody. Hi. It's us, our dirty laundry, Mandy and Katie. Yeah, we're happy everybody's here. Hello. Yeah, we're back to talk about white women being shitty and choosing whiteness <laughs> over everything. Always, <laughs> always, always. Yeah, I yeah. We always laugh that we just have so much to talk about, and I do think it's that is an important way that you just framed it. Like these are stories, primarily stories of the past, but sometimes we dive into current events of white women choosing whiteness. Like it doesn't have to be that way, and there are white women who don't, and that's great. And we want to be that ourselves, but there's a whole mess of white ladies that just made me think they should have a name like a gaggle or like a, (laughs) like, what would you call a group of white ladies? Oh, jeez. Maybe we could call them a Hollis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Look at that Hollis. A Hollis is coming. Watch out. I, I think I I think it absolutely has to be that. So yes. Yes. All right. You heard it here first. That's what you now call a group of like white women coming at you that are choosing whiteness over everything else. A, a dangerous Hollis. Oh, well, that's a, oh, a good way to start. Well, welcome everybody. If you're new, yeah. if you're new to listening, we are in the middle of season two where we're talking about women, white women who that this wasn't just a means to an end for them. This was their goal. Racism was their goal. And we were talking about slavery, white women's involvement in slavery. And now we've been talking about white women's involvement in eugenics. And mm-hmm. uh, Mandy has been teaching us and I can't wait. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, you might want to do that before jumping into this. Or you can always yeah. check out our website, com, where we post links and resources and recommended readings and other podcasts podcast that we love, just all sorts of links. Um, please, I, I know we keep forgetting to say this, but please subscribe and mm-hmm. share the podcast that that helps bump it up in the algorithm to suggest it to other people. And what's most important to us is that these histories that are not very well known within Hollis's, <laughs> within <laughs> gaggles of white ladies, is these histories are fascinating and they're important and they're complicated. And we want more people to know them because we think yeah. that it would help make a difference in how we choose to live our lives. So that's our right. goal. Right. So we're going to talk about some white ladies in eugenics today, but I will recap. So if anybody has not listened or it's been a little bit, cause I know this is coming out like a couple of weeks after the last one mm-hmm. to recap Mm-hmm. where eugenics came from. So spinoff of Darwinism, which taught us that there was natural selection for positive traits that helped the species survive. And then those, those people who had those traits, they thrived and they kept reproducing. And the ones who didn't then died off. And like biological so traits. Let's biologically. Be really clear. Yeah. Like big toes. And yes, that's why it's called like hair. natural selection <laughs> because these are based on actual biologic traits. Not like your interest so, in sewing or whether you save money. Not those are yes. not biological traits, right? Okay. <laughs> no. Just no. to clarify. You're good at traveling and both <laughs> you like city bowling. and rural life. Um, <laughs> this comes from the last episode. Yes. Anyway, then that took a turn with eugenics where people thought, oh, so you can select for traits. How about we speed this up and create a stronger population through unnatural selection. Some people Mm -hmm. might call it or selective breeding, basically treating people like, you know, 
cattle or other herds of animals and saying that we should just breed based on these desirable traits, which are not necessarily genetic at all. Or so necessarily pos- desirable by everybody. It's like a very right. select group of people yes. identifying what's desirable and presuming they're biological, but they actually are, are not genetic. If not at all, like it's more complicated than that either way. Right. They're, yes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So there was positive eugenics is how it started by promoting desirable traits by procreating with people with those similarly desirable traits, also called phenotypes, if you think back to mm-hmm, your mm-hmm. biology classes. So these are observable characteristics are basically the easiest way to describe phenotypes. But phenotypes, may, like you just said, they may be influenced by genes, but they're also influenced largely by the environment. So eugenicists just kind of like ignored that environment part conveniently, of course, um, and decided that it was all just breeding. And that's how they were going to solve all these issues. Though. Like, yes, they're so the, so the breeding, so all of this, like when we were talking about it last week, it is these not biological traits, like your hobbies and interests that are socially produced full stop, or it's like biological traits that are more complicated. I guess I'm saying like, we know that race, let's say is not Mm -hmm. actually like a genetic reality. It's a social construct. Like it's a created thing, but that eugenics was also part of the movement to say like people shouldn't, the interracial marriage shouldn't happen, that we shouldn't quote, like crossbreed within these groups that have been socially constructed anyway, but that have like phenotype, like color of skin, type of hair, short or tall, like that was part of it too. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So, um, then we get negative eugenics. This came in through America, of course. So that meant stopping procreation among those with less desirable characteristics. Instead of promoting the desirable ones, then people decided upon things that were less desirable. And this led to things like the anti-miscegenation laws, um, birth control, and sterilization. So also completely ignoring environmental contribution to things that were deemed these negative characteristics. So unsurprisingly, desirable traits were things like intelligence, wealth, whiteness, being able-bodied, healthy, quote unquote, but there are some weird things that they put in that category and usually Christian. So then undesirable was feeble-minded, diseased, disabled, the lazy, um, criminals, alcoholics, non-white people, poor people, Mm. non-Christian people Mm. all fell into this Mm -hmm. category. And we talked about the eugenics records office, which was founded Mm -hmm. by Charles Davenport and his wife, um, where people could go to register family pedigrees. And I forgot we did, um, bring up in the last episode, wondering whether Charles and Gertrude had children, which I didn't know at that point. So they did have kids. They had three of them. However, this departed from Charles recommendation that fit marriages procreate between four to six children so that their germ plasm could be reproduced at an adequate degree that the preferred stock would not be swamped out by less carefully selected (gasps) marriages, as they said. (sighs) So way to drop the ball, Davenport's. You didn't even meet your own recommendations. (laughs) Your germplasm got swamped, probably. so awkward. (laughs) I remember saying that I was really hopeful that one of their kids turned out to be, like, you know, an axe murderer. Not that I want, like, an attempt, let's say attempted axe murderer, because I don't want anyone to actually be harmed in this fantasy. Uh, but I, you know, they're just so confident that, like, oh, you are great. I am great. Therefore, like, our children will be a sturdy stock, whatever. It's just, yeah. It's just so gross. Also, you had taught us that I've been thinking about this nonstop that it, this records office was funded by the founder of Kellogg's. Serial yeah. company. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that yeah. twist. I mean, I mean, it's gross and weird, but yes. Well, I mean, it's just part of like this that these are not like these weren't fringe ideas, right? Like this was right. all widely accepted stuff. So that's people like we also talked about good old Teddy Roosevelt. Oh yeah, that letter um, was horrifying. And, 
Yeah. And then I also read in something this week that a lot of the research that the Davenports did um, was funded by the Carnegie Institute. Wow. They received grants from the Carnegie Institute to research this stuff. Um, But then we also will get to, as I said, Helen Keller's Mm -hmm. acceptance of eugenics, then other like very well-known people at the time, like H.G. Wells and Bernard Shaw, even Winston Churchill had statements that were like very pro eugenic attitudes. Mm -hmm. So it, it wasn't at all, a fringe thing. One mm-hmm. of the podcasts that I listened to about part of this said that it was like virtually every women's group in the country was pro eugenic at this time. So yeah. Well, that reminds I tried me of, to, Oh, I was just going to say that reminds me of Hassan Jeffrey's interview, which if, if people haven't listened to it, please go back and listen to it. It was really a great conversation that yeah. him giving us advice at the end to say, you know, of course it's important and, and necessary to look at some of the leaders and some of the figureheads, but don't forget the only reason that they had power was because they had a lot of support. And so who, who were those everyday people that, yeah, this made sense to them. And it was, it, it was, he was talking about those postcards that show lynchings and the, all of the community that showed up in their Sunday best to smile for the camera. Mm -hmm. And that that's actually, like of course we have to hold accountable the people who did the the you know like hand to hand violence but the fact yep. that the community shows up and supports it is not nothing you know that's important to look at too yeah yeah um i did try to look and see if there were and there was any data ever collected on how popular it was like percentage mm-hmm. of people or what but i didn't find anything so mm-hmm. i don't know but apparently anecdotally a lot of people did So we won't be surprised then to learn that some of our old feminist suffragist friends were all (laughs) up in this game. Hey, girls. (laughs) Hollis. Oh, Hollis. Move over this way. We should say, like, if people haven't listened to our mini-sode about Rachel Hollis and you aren't familiar with her, go back and listen to that. But yes. Okay. So we're those suffrage ladies, I think, are going to be part of every episode we ever talk about. They're just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of them in particular that we are going to really get deep in to this time. But first, we want to start with where all of this originated from. So the there is an entire thing called eugenic feminism that started in the 19 teens. So the idea of eugenic feminism is that women were the bearers of the next generation of the race and therefore had the legal right to vote and politically advocate for interests concerning them, their children and the race as a whole. So this is when we get back to this whole thing that suffragists did before, like using these gross problematic social constructs in order to, get themselves ahead. So now we're using eugenics and this whole idea Mm -hmm. of selective breeding in order to say, and this is why we should have rights because this is why we're important. We're the breeders. Ugh, Mm -hmm. gross. Like seriously reminds me a lot of going back even to the Mm anti-suffragist arguments and using them as a way to promote this idea. Um, But the term eugenic feminism was coined by not a woman, man named Caleb Salibi. <laughs> I think we should just call so, men not women. Not, not <laughs> yeah. woman. Okay. Named Caleb. What was his name? Caleb, Caleb Salibi. Okay. So here's where we should just say beware of any definite or defining, I'm trying to say, of feminist terms by men. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a red flag. Okay. Yes. This is where we know that things are going to get problematic. So Salibi was a physician and obstetrician. In fact, this is where mm-hmm. his, uh, his whatever professional role comes into this. Um, so he, and he's from England. So he favored education for women, but primarily so they could become better mothers. This all just sounds so much like little Miss Dahlgren's uh-huh. uh, tract that we read in the, the very first episode. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So he wrote um, in 1912 in a, an article or pamphlet or something called Women and Womanhood. Again, beware of men who are going to tell <laughs> yes, us. Yes, man, tell me all women. about women and womanhood. Do it. Yes, Go. please do. I like that it's like um, early old-timey mansplaining. Like, <laughs> yes, oh, it's this mansplaining goes real deep. He said, women being constructed by nature as individuals for her racial ends are happier and more beautiful, live longer and more beautiful lives when they follow as mothers or foster mothers, the role of motherhood. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Mm -hmm. I mean, so gross. And then he also said, so this was, he was around at the peak of suffrage of the suffrage movement. And he said that he could see no good reason against women voting. He said, I believe in the vote. I believe it will be eugenic so that what somehow that women, mean? I guess women getting the right to vote would like improve promote. the human race. Yeah. Okay. Because women would clearly decide that they believed in eugenics and this is how we were going to get women to get on board with not procreating. If you were in these unfit degenerate categories and mm -hmm. then the other women just breeding like, rabbits. Mm -hmm. um, so he also said feminism without eugenics is ruinous to the race. <laughs> so he was a peach. <laughs> so I mean, there's somebody read that said this whole idea of eugenic feminism that he coined was at least partly just a deceptive strategy trying to draw women back to this idea of you need to be you're in the good, home and having children right. is what your role is and mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And I would say like partly deceptive. It just sounds like the entire <laughs> thing. It sounds like <laughs> one of those, like, you know, that they, they have like a fan underneath them that they have like floppy blowy arms and you see them at like a yeah. car dealership or whatever. It's like right. eugenic feminism. <laughs> yeah. I'm, Hello, guess what I'm all about? <laughs> yeah, I don't think that there's no secret as to what he's up no. to. Yeah, okay. No, no, not at all. He wrote a book called um, Parenthood and Race Culture, mm -hmm. and it is available on Kindle for 99 cents. Um, <laughs> it's like 400 some pages long. I bought it so that I could like scroll through and like look at some of the bullshit that he wrote about. And now I'm pretty sure I'm on some watch list somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> your, your suggested readings, like if you liked this, you'll love yeah. Mein Kampf. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just couldn't get through most of it because the, the, the old like English writing where there's run on sentences for days mm -hmm. and like commas separating 18 clauses so within commas. a sentence. I was like, I, I don't <laughs> so even know what you originally meant to say. I've gotten lost so in the commas, commas, so I can't do it mm -hmm. anyway. So basically this like eugenics then turned into this whole thing was basically codifying like white supremacy through science, mm -hmm. but then through this eugenic feminism also, became the scientific rationale for controlling women's reproductive behaviors. Mm -hmm. So we're just mm -hmm. right back into this entire thing. Oh, and mm -hmm. I forgot while I do this, I wanted to send you a picture okay. that I, I, I know that I found online of Caleb Salibi and guys, we will put this up on the blog because I saw it. And my first reaction was like, Oh yeah, that's totally that dude. Like this is how I would even maybe uh, picture him looking. <laughs> oh my god, I can't wait to put him on the website. He Oh, I mean, it's a very intense stare and he's working really hard to grow a beard. He's yeah, really trying. I mean, and that mustache is something he's got a thick head of hair. You yeah. can't even see a hairline in that. But that look yeah. that he's giving is just like this, like Ugh. he's trying to be a male model, like sexy, come hither, but I know better than you. So he, let me tell you about he looks, it. It looks like picture <laughs> when you go to like an amusement park and you can dress up in old clothes and take like black and white pictures, that it looks like yeah. that kind of style and that it's, he's like the originator of nagging women. 
when you like <laughs> insult them, but to get them to want to have sex with you, like it looks like he's holding a pamphlet about how to do that in 1907. That's it's his probably vibe. his pamphlet of woman and womanhood <laughs> that he's going to share with you uh, as he okay. talks you into sleeping with him later. Yeah. He's gross. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fan. Okay. Uh, yeah. If I would anyway, swipe. I would swipe left. Is that which swipe? Is that the thing? I don't know Both which way of us you swipe. Got married before this. Time. <laughs> which way do you swipe? Thank if you don't, the Lord. Like, <laughs> swipe away. I think swipe it's left. Away. Okay. Yeah. yeah put him to the left. garbage. Okay. Teach your daughters stay away from that look. <laughs> if you see that look on a man's face, go the other way. Mm. Hard pass. <sighs> anyway, so. There were a few women, some of them, there was one, um, something, there's some, the fabulous five, something about five, five women in Canada who are very well known eugenicists, but there are a few in America that kind of took onto this hardcore and they were using eugenics kind of to promote their own means. The two that we're going to talk about mostly today kind of thought of it in opposite ways. Um, but both of them saw eugenics as a way that they could restructure women's social significance. So -hmm. they were trying to take this breeding power and make it a way that women could become more socially significant in this period of time. So primary among these is a woman named Charlotte Perkins Gilman. And I know I've heard that name before. before. Yes. I think we did. Okay. I couldn't remember exactly the context or what she was involved in at the time, but she's a very, very famous, like, writer. She wrote a lot of um, fiction and some nonfiction pieces, and she was a suffragist, so I don't remember who she was hooked up with. I, I'll look it up while time. we're talking, but yes, she. we have most definitely talked about her before. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So she lived from 1860 to 1935. So she was up in all of this stuff with like the Susan B and all of the people in suffrage. So before we get to her eugenic stuff, we have to talk about her background and her life because it is so fascinating. Yes. Okay. And among the things we say when we say if we've learned anything, <laughs> like if we, one of the things that we've learned is that man, people just needed some good therapy and maybe a lot of these <laughs> problems could have been solved. Um, at, sadly, Charlotte got some therapy in her life, but it was real bad and it didn't Ooh. help things at all. And it actually okay. like kind of turned her towards the way that she went. So, she was mainly a novelist, also a feminist. She has been inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. And she also has some family ties to people that we have definitely talked about. So her father was Frederick Beecher Perkins. Remember oh, that Beecher yes. Name? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Of the Harriet Beecher so Stowe and the Harriet? Henry Beecher. So... Frederick's sister. Yeah. So her father was Frederick. He was the grandson of Lyman Beecher, who was the father of Harriet and all those. So Harriet Beecher Stowe was this dude's aunt. Okay. So Harriet Beecher Stowe is Charlotte Perkins Gilman's great aunt. Okay. See, there's all these tie-ins. So tie-ins to the Beecher family. Okay. Um, But Charlotte's dad abandoned the whole family. When she was just a baby, she had one brother that was 14 months old when she was born. And when she was a baby, Frederick pieced out of there and left them alone um, with their mom to be raised basically in poverty. Okay. So it starts real young in this, Mm -hmm. in this problem, these problems with Charlotte. So apparently her mother was so affected by this heartbreak and loss and being betrayed that she decided not to be affectionate with her children to keep them from getting hurt as she had been. And she forbade them from having strong friendships or from reading fiction. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to connect with you and you're not going to connect with anyone, not even a fictional friend. That's right. Okay. (laughs) We cannot have any human connections. Um, Mm -hmm. So in her autobiography, she wrote that her mother showed affection only when she thought her young daughter was asleep. Oh my God. That's so sad. 
Is that horrendous? I mean, no, that's not going to cause any psychological damage also, in a child, like, as, I'm sure. Like, Oh, my God. Can you just imagine a kid kind of figuring that out and then, like, trying really hard to pretend they're asleep just to get, like, a hug from their mom? Yeah. Ugh. I know. Like, tragic and horrendous. This is the shit that happens to people. Yeah, that's it's awful. amazing. Ugh. <sighs> anyway, so no no surprise, Charlotte became a novelist who wrote fiction books. <laughs> God. But she was also an artist. So before she started writing, she was like a painter. Um, and she went to Rhode Island School of Design huh. in her youth, which is interesting because it also says that she only attended like four years of formal education elementary school. So I don't really know how people got into all these schools back then. It clearly didn't have the same requirements, but because <laughs> RISD, as it's called Rhode Island School of oh, Design, yeah. it's a very well-known like design school right. now that's right. super competitive. Um, but at RISD, she met a woman named Martha Luther and they, it's suspected, had a several-year romantic relationship. So Charlotte wrote, We were closely together, increasingly happily together, for four of those long years of girl girlhood. She was nearer and dearer than anyone up to that time. This was love, but not sex, she made sure to say. With Martha, I knew perfect happiness. We were not only extremely fond of each other, but we had fun together. Hmm. So... This sounds really nice. But then Martha decided to get married to a man, Mm. which devastated Charlotte, who Mm. then was said to detest all romance and love. Can't imagine that this will come back to inform her future beliefs. (laughs) But still a few years later, she got married. Because that's just what you do, I guess, in this time period. And she married a man named Charles Walter Stetson. They had one child like a year after they got married. Her name was Catherine. But Charlotte suffered what seemed like major postpartum depression, even Mm. psychosis, after she had Catherine. I mean, imagine you're the child of a mother who only showed love when you were asleep. Then you have this baby and you're like... Now what do I do? Because it's probably with this man who she doesn't even really love. Um, So right after she had this baby and went into Mm -hmm. this depression, she went and she spent nine weeks under the care of this Dr. Silas Mitchell, who was a psychologist or something. Mm -hmm. She spent these nine weeks with him. And then she was sent home with what was called rest instructions. And these were the instructions she was given. Quote, live as domestic a life as possible. Have your child with you all the time. Lie down an hour after each meal. Have but two hours intellectual life a day. (laughs) Never touch a pen, brush, or pencil as long as you live. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay. I mean, A, it's uh, conflicting (laughs) advice because how can I have my kid with me all the time and have a nap for an hour after every meal? Like, good fucking luck. And then secondly, (laughs) like keep that brain shut off. Just sing twinkle little star and sit in the poppy fields and you'll have a great day. Don't think Mm -hmm. it will make you sad. Yeah. Which (laughs) is kind of not wrong in some cases. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But that's this poor woman. I mean, I, I really like what, what a setup for just a shitty hard situation. Well, I mean, and as you can imagine, that didn't work. Yeah. And so she just went into this like deeper and deeper Uh, depression and almost like full uh, mental collapse, like started talking about suicidal ideation and stuff. So then she and her husband decided that they just shouldn't, they probably shouldn't be married anymore. Mm. So, but they didn't immediately get divorced. She moved to California and then lived with her best friend, Grace Ellery Channing. Hmm. Her divorce wasn't finalized till almost five years later, after which her friend Grace and her ex-husband Charles got married to each other. No. (laughs) This is like a soap opera. This is not a real person's life. So bonkers. Like the craziest stuff ever. So they got married. And then Charlotte basically gave her daughter Catherine to Charles. And Grace. Ugh. 
God. And said, she wrote years later, that Channing was fully a, as good a mother as her, and perhaps better in some ways. Just, Which is very gracious oof. of her to say, but like, yikes. Like, Charlotte just didn't have a chance no. with child no. rearing no. after that whole thing. Um, so then there's still some more real strange details in here. So after she had left her husband, but I think before they were divorced, she met this woman, Adeline, known as Dell Knapp, and they had a serious relationship for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, a biographer of Gilman wrote that she believed that in Dell she had found a way to combine love and living, and that with a woman as a life mate, she might more easily uphold that combination than she would in a conventional heterosexual mm-hmm. marriage. Mm-hmm. But that relationship also didn't last. <sighs> And then Charlotte moved back to New York and somehow dialed up. I don't know. Probably not dialed. Did they have phones yet? <laughs> Tapped when out. Did, when did that Yeah. When did that happen? Anyway, hooked up with a man named Houghton Gilman, who was her first cousin. Okay. They quickly got in a romantic relationship and got married. Okay. Because that's a thing that any good eugenicist would know. Not to avoid <laughs> marriage to your first cousin. Uh, although they, they probably weren't wanting to have really children. Well. No, they... they didn't have kids. Okay, yeah, okay. They, they didn't. Yeah. Um, but in her diary, she describes him as pleasurable, and it was clear that she was deeply interested in him. Yeah. Whatever that means. Mm-hmm. They were married for 34 years wow. when he suddenly died of a brain aneurysm. Oh, my God. So sad. Mm-hmm. In 1934. Mm-hmm. And two years previous to that, Charlotte had been diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. So in 1935, one year after Houghton died, she died by suicide, um, having been an open advocate for euthanasia for oh. the terminally ill. Mm. So that mm. was the end Wow! of that whole story. Wow. So we're going to get into the intervening parts where she talks about like eugenics and her support of it. But holy shit. I know. It's a life. Yeah. That's crazy like did she no did she write the yellow wallpaper yes because i remember reading that in high school maybe Uh uh-huh okay okay yeah it's a very 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 famous like thought of as one of the first feminist books like Mm. novels or so the yellow wallpaper um was probably her most famous short story and it's basically like this part semi autobiographical story about her journey with postpartum depression mm. and what happened to mm. her. So mm. it's about a woman whose husband like locks her in a room for the sake of her own mental health. Mm. And there's like this yellow wallpaper in there and she becomes obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. There's some mm-hmm. figure on the wallpaper. That's like this stooped over human figure, but on all fours. And that's kind of like what she relates herself to and what she has become mm. um, that she's kind of like gone back in this whole evolutionist theory mm. to become just this, not even person mm-hmm. um, through whatever she was taught by mm. her therapist and what women were allowed to be. So it's just seen as this commentary on how when women don't have autonomy over their own lives, it's detrimental to like their mental, emotional and physical well-being. She wrote this and then sent a copy of it to her therapist, old <laughs> Dr. Silas. <laughs> it's like, this is what I learned from you, <laughs> jackass. So <laughs> it was basically just that being locked up and having no connection and having no right. like creative output just made everything that worse. much worse. Right, right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the start of like her belief that this domestic environment was oppressive to women mm-hmm. and the upholding of these patriarchal beliefs in society were oppressive to women. And so this is where her feminism kind of starts to play in. Um, but then she kind of ties this into like the Darwinist theories the of evolution. Stuff? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of to the social Darwinist stuff and her, she's more of what they call a reform Darwinist because she rejected Darwinism was kind of revolved around males making the choice of mm. who they were, breeding with to, you know, Mm -hmm. pick for these more desirable characteristics. And she 
kind of comes back to say that like, really it's women who are picking the more desirable traits and who Mm -hmm. they want to have children with. So she, Gilman, she had Mm -hmm. a lot of ideas in all of this that I can really get behind. Like Mm -hmm. she believed that economic independence for women was the only thing that would really bring them freedom. Mm -hmm. She thought that motherhood should not preclude a woman from working outside the home and that housework could and should be professionalized mm-hmm. or at least equally shared by men and women. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. kind of, I, she kind of had this idea of maybe more co-op type living where people. I have thought about all, that and right? fantasized about it. Honestly, <laughs> like, yeah, put me up in like a bedroom house and then we have like a, you know, shared kitchen space. Although maybe it would right. get and her idealized. Us. I don't know. Yeah, in her idealized home, she took the kitchen out of the house. Mm -hmm. And there were just, like, rooms. And it was this community. And there was, like, a community kitchen that everyone went to. But it was just, like, that was not the idea of home, was all of this domestic stuff that women had to do. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I'm not against some of these ideas that she had. But then she had some other ideas (laughs) that were not so great shall we say um she wrote in the american journal of sociology with regard to african americans we have to consider the unavoidable presence of a large body of aliens of a race widely dissimilar and in many respects inferior Mm -mm. whose present status is to us a social injury the okay your presence (laughs) is injurious Yes. Your existence is hurting us. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah. because mainly these people were beneath a certain grade of citizenship, she said. Mm. And she said that we should take stock of this population and whatever people were found to be not decent, self supporting, and progressive should be taken hold of by the state. So Mm. anyone that didn't meet these standards should be taken hold of by the state. And then her idea for this and her solution was there should be a system called enlistment, which rather than enslavement, which these people just escaped, (laughs) but that would require the enforced labor of black Americans, men, women, and children. So why isn't that slavery? <laughs> well, because she believed that they should receive a wage after covering the costs of the labor program. Mm. <laughs> oh. so, so the whiteness comes back to just ruin it's so every strong. Social good that she's talking about. You just can't get past it. Do you remember this was, um, I want to say this was after George Floyd's murder and it was a police chief, maybe in Wisconsin. I will look this up and it went viral. It was him in a press Mm -hmm. conference explaining like, if only there were like a warehouse where we could put these people. Like some of the old Amazon ones. Yeah. And he he clearly like really thought about this. Like it wasn't Uh just a flippant Uh comment. It was like, guys, guys, I have this idea. Like, let's round up all these people and put them in these warehouses and then like make them Uh work and like sterilize them. Like, that would yes. be great. And it, it was like you that. you watch it and you're just like, is what I he <laughs> what? Like, not only does he know it's recorded, he's like excited to share this idea because maybe uh-huh. it'll like pick up steam. I will yeah. link to it on the website if you haven't watched it. I'm uh, <laughs> if you Google racist police chief, like a lot of videos will come up. So I think you need to <laughs> be more specific, like warehouse or something, but it is the most uh, bananas quote from like a modern person that I've heard in a long time. Yeah. But it sounds like the exact continuation of this idea. Yeah. Like, Oh, just if we could only round these people up and I don't know, put them in some sort of like, you know, chains so they can't get away and like make them (laughs) do some, you know, labor without pay. Guys, guys, have we heard of this? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, so Charlotte did not only have issues with, black Americans. She also believed that the old stock Americans of British colonial descent were giving up their country to immigrants 
who she said were diluting the nation's reproductive purity. When asked about it. Uh, it's so during, good. I can't. Yeah. Okay. When asked about it during a trip to London, she famously quipped, I'm an Anglo-Saxon before everything. Oh, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> white women and their whiteness mm. it is such a problem mm. so this just leads to some of her eugenic writings so she yeah. wrote a tract called his religion and hers and makes the case that through motherhood women have to regenerate the race she says is the race weak she can make it strong is it stupid she can make it intelligent. Is it foul with disease? She can make it clean. Whatever qualities she finds desirable, she can develop in the race through her initial function as a mother. We should have conventions of young women gathered to study what is most needed in their race and how they might soonest develop it. For instance, far-seeing Japanese women might determine to raise the standard of height. Oh or gosh. patriotic French women determine to raise the standard of fertility. Or wise what? American women unite with the slogan, no more morons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So after she wrote the book, Yellow Wallpaper, she... It, her next two like writings were kind of just a progression of fixing the degeneracy that happens to women through patriarchal motherhood and then how she envisions motherhood can evolve, evolve to this more uh, refined society, I guess. So the next book is called The Crux, which is apparently out of print and you can't find it, but it must exist somewhere. People have written all these critiques of it, but there's this main character. Her name is Vivian Lane, and she falls in love with a man named Morton Elder, who was described as a motherless boy with no good woman's influence about. He was a naughty child and contracted syphilis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So her friend, who is a doctor, a woman, a female doctor warns Vivian against marrying him, not because of like, the idea that he has syphilis and could be like ill medically mm -hmm, from it, mm -hmm. or that Vivian could get it Contract and become it, medically yeah. ill. But because there was a belief in this time that syphilis was hereditary <laughs> and that then you could pass it on mm -hmm. and therefore deteriorate the national stock, they mm -hmm. say. So Vivian argues that she's in love with Morton though, to which her friend replies in this book. Will you tell that to your crippled children? Will they understand if they are idiots? Will they see if they are blind? Will it satisfy you when they are dead? They may be deformed and twisted and have all manner of terrible and loathsome afflictions that they and their children after them, if they have any, and many do. Dear girl, don't you see that's wicked? Beware of biological sin, my dear, for it there is no forgiveness." I mean, yeah. you can't even make this shit. I, I guess, you know, Charlotte made it up in her book, but you well, can't right. make up that she made this up. Like. No, wait, wait, wait. I mean, I'm also just trying to understand, like, how you explain the existence of people. Like, let's say, it's sort of like I'm thinking now about, you know, the conversion therapy camps or families that, like, don't believe that being gay is who you are or that you can choose something else or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it doesn't, or I was just listening to this podcast. How did this get made? It's these like comedians and they talk about movies that they love and it makes me laugh while I do yard work. And so I was listening to it and they were doing a review of ladybugs. Do you remember that movie mm -hmm. about Rodney Dangerfield was in it? It's like a soccer team. Um, it, I remember thinking it was like really great when I was but I 12. I do love these like Katie guess the movie that I'm thinking bits <laughs> that we do. <laughs> it's so time it was 
you know that guy that eats the people? <laughs> Silence yeah. of the Lambs. I came up with it right away. No, for I I feel like anyone in our generation had to have seen Ladybugs because it was like this girl soccer team and then this boy, this like hunky, you know, 90s heartthrob boy dresses up like a girl to be on the team and make the team better. But it like if mm. I'm sure if we watched it now, we would be horrified that it's a terrible yeah. movie. But yeah. one of they're like, not only is it a terrible sexist movie in all these ways, but it's super homophobic. They make some joke about like a baby riding in a seat on the back of a dad's bike. And that, yeah. like, it's going to make that kid gay because he's just staring at his dad's butt all day. Oh like, that's the joke. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What? Yes. In a movie from, like, 1992. <laughs> oh, and so this is what I'm always, like, amazed by, like, people who believe these theories. Like, the yeah. how do they explain the existence of kids in families that are, quote, good? Like, of course, it's mm-hmm. because your theory is stupid. That's why. Yeah. Like, your theory is stupid and these people are great and get over it. That's what I want to say. Very yeah. weird tangents continue. Yeah, no, but like the idea, how do you even get this idea that syphilis is hereditary? I don't, where did, and then it's just accepted. And then you write a whole book about it. That's weird. Anyway, so Vivian's all upset about this in this book. And she runs to her grandma who then describes the benefits of eugenic eugenics in modern society to her. She tells her about women's clubs and lawmakers and states that have passed laws requiring a medical certificate with a clean bill of health to marry. And that young people are being taught what they need to know to stop the degeneration of society. She said to her, don't be afraid of knowledge. When we all know about this, we can stop it. We can rid the world of all the undesirable citizens. Mm. Uh, So, so Hitler-esque. But as we know, no, Hitler got it from us. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. So then it goes, her next novel was called Her Land, which is still available. And in this one, she takes it all the way to like, women can reproduce asexually. So they become pregnant. Oh, in the book. In the book. Okay. I was like, that's not real, Charlotte. (laughs) Okay. This is her novel. This is her utopian ideal. Okay. That like, women just become pregnant through their own sheer will. And then women, women who... know that they shouldn't procreate just decide not to for the good of humanity and just help raise the women who should i did just read an insect book to thea this weekend and it is the praying mantis where the female after they have sex immediately bites the head off of the male so it's not like unheard of in animal life to make this (laughs) happen okay yep yeah so Anyway, she just gets rid of men altogether. And I can see where this might come from her experience, her life mm-hmm. experience. I mean, yeah. she wrote in some of her writings that sexual differentiation and attraction, like the more disparate the sexes were, led to this like indulgence and poor decision making based on like just pure sexual attraction. And that therefore mm-hmm. was the downfall of society and you had to take attraction out of it and just make at least try to make the sexes as similar as possible mm-hmm. because then you wouldn't have people making these poor decisions to marry based on quote unquote love. Mm-hmm. They could just make these decisions based on building a better society and improving mm-hmm. the stock of America in a very specifically uh, racist way. <laughs> Right. Yeah. 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 So just basically re she just re reframes the gender roles through this feminist yeah. idea that mm-hmm. basically gets rid of all of the unworthy people in the world, like bananas, B A N A N A S. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah. Crazy, 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 craziness. So that's Charlotte. Um, we're going to talk this, this next one is not as long. She has also has some interesting history, but I think we can get through it. Great. Um, great. This is fascinating. so Victoria Woodhull. Oh yeah. We did also mention. We know Victoria yes. for sure. We okay. know Victoria. So Victoria is known as the first female candidate to run for president mm-hmm. um, in the 1872 election, which apparently maybe was not considered a legitimate candidacy because she wasn't the, she wasn't 35. So she wasn't mm. the age set forth in the constitution, mm-hmm. but because nobody considered her a real candidate anyway, they didn't really even didn't care matter. about that. Yeah. They're like, whatever, Victoria. Yeah. Okay. Um, and 
this part I didn't get more into, but Frederick Douglass was apparently her running mate, but not because once extended the invitation, he realized that he was just being used by her like as a puppet. And then he declined it. He was like, Oh no, you're a racist. I'm not doing that. But some, some histories that you look at, or at least internet sites say that Frederick Douglass was her running mate. Hmm. No, he declined. He was not. Anyway, she's a totally different stripe of eugenicist than Charlotte was, where we just learned that Charlotte believed that sexual desire was like the root of degeneracy. Woodhull was an advocate of free love. Right, right, right. Which not we'll, to orgies. So we'll get to that. Yes. Not, not quite orgies. <laughs> but... It's a very loose, loose, loose terminology. So let's get into a little bit of her personal background, because we know there's going to be stuff in that closet. (laughs) So she first, though, she was before Charlotte's time. So she was born earlier. But there's a little bit of a connection between the two, of course, because Mm -hmm. there is in all of these women, such an ancestral group of Mm -hmm. elite people. Mm -hmm. Um, But Charlotte or no. So Woodhull had a newspaper that got her arrested just days before the 1872 election based on obscenity charges because she ran the story about the alleged affair between Henry Ward Beecher, who was a preacher at the time of the Beecher family with Elizabeth Richards Tilton. So Henry Ward was a great uncle of Charlotte's. And this was like this big, huge story where she got charged with obscenity because she sent this, the details of this affair through the mail, which was against federal law. We discussed that, I think. Yes. And by the way, just like a few weeks ago, Terry Gross Fresh Air did an interview with an author, Amy Sohn, who wrote a book, The Man Who Hated Women, about the Anthony Comstock, where the Comstock laws come from and how Uh that was actually really tied to like what got called obscenity within the Comstock laws included information about birth control, information about Mm -hmm. reproduction. Like it it was a fascinating episode of Fresh Air. And I really also want to read this book. Um, Super interesting. Anyway, to that. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. Look at that. So, okay. Back to Vicky. She was the daughter of uh, Roxy Hummel and Buck Claflin. Those are their nicknames, but I like them. So Buck and Roxy, that's amazing. Buck and Roxy, or her parents. This is like 1800s. It's amazing. Um, so Roxy was apparently born to unmarried parents, and she was illiterate. And Buck was literally a snake oil salesman. <laughs> like where the term comes from, that was his job. He was a snake oil salesman. So, and there's also some historical dispute about whether or not Buck um, sexually abused Victoria as a Um, child. Some historians say mm -hmm. yes. Other ones say that's just hearsay. There's Mm -hmm. never been any direct quotes or anything people can really tie to it. But Mm -hmm. uh, there's that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then we get to her marriage where she got the Woodhull name. When she was 14, she apparently had some sort of chronic disease. Don't know what it was. But her parents took her to see this doctor canning Woodhull. But at this time, you didn't have to have any formal training or licensure to be a doctor. So mm-hmm. who knows what the hell he really was. Mm-hmm. But then this dude abducted her. Oh, God. And forced her to marry him. Their marriage certificate. Yeah. Well, their marriage certificate was put like filed two months after her 15th birthday. So unsurprisingly, Canning Woodhull is not a prince of a man. He's abusive and an alcoholic and a womanizer and cheats on Victoria many, many times, but not before they had two children together. Oh my God. Byron and Zula. And Byron was born with a mental disability, which Victoria thought was due to her husband's alcoholism which is likely a huge factor contributing then to her eugenics mm-hmm. beliefs like that this. come out later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's uh, so many allegations in this history of hers. Another story said that Byron's mental disability was due to the fact that he fell out of a window as a young child. So <laughs> that, who that knows? can <laughs> cause some problems. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. anyway. Okay. So Victoria divorces Canning, um, but kept his last name. 
But divorce, obviously, at this time is considered like super scandalous. And women were very ostracized when they got divorced. But Victoria, obviously, having lived in this horrible circumstance, believed that women should have the right to leave these unbearable marriages, which which then led to her adherence to this free love idea. Mm -hmm. So she believed in monogamy, but a kind of like serial monogamy Mm -hmm. where women could change their minds when they Mm -hmm. wanted to. Um, She's quoted as saying, yes, I am a free lover. I have an inalienable constitutional and natural right to love whom I may to love as long or as short a period as I can to change that love every day, if I please. And with that right, neither you or any law you can frame have any right to interfere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, however, later in life, then apparently Vicky found Jesus and (laughs) became very Christian. And then she backtracked on all of these ideas to the extent where then she even claimed that some people wrote those things instead of her and she didn't really say them to which historians are like, no, 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 Vicky, (laughs) what you did. You're a liar. Um, but she asserted then later in life that promiscuity was a curse of society and she began mm-hmm. to idealize purity, marriage, and motherhood. What? Ugh. So I wonder what I caused know. that. Well, I don't yeah, I don't know. So she got because she got married again, um, and then divorced again, mm-hmm. and then married a third time in England. Mm-hmm. And why was she in England, you ask? You didn't ask, but I'm gonna tell you. <laughs> Because this is weird and a story I totally want to look into more, but no time for this right now. But it's because the Vanderbilt family paid her and her sister to leave the U.S. Because they thought they were going to testify against them in some hearings that were being held about the distribution of the Vanderbilt estate after one of like the elder Vanderbilt people died. Apparently, there was some illegal shenanigans that Victoria and her sister learned about. And so they paid them, they bribed them to leave the country and they did it. What? This is craziness. That has to be looked into later, but it has nothing to do with women's (laughs) involvement in white supremacy. Although it does kind of, (laughs) these rich white people and their shit anyway. So let's get into a little bit of Victoria's eugenic garbage. Um, like we were saying, where Gilman believed the sexual di- desire was the base of race degeneracy, Woodhill believed the opposite. She, and in this whole line of reasoning, she invokes the horrible, horrible equivalency of slavery to marriage that was also mm-hmm. used by some mm-hmm. other feminists mm-hmm. at this mm-hmm. time. She said, like slavery, marriage too is a racial oppression, for it stands directly in the way of any improvement in the race. Women cannot bear their best children except by the men they love best and for whom they have the keenest desire. See, these women are just making this shit up. Like Charlotte Mm -hmm. was saying, love couldn't be a part of it. And now Victoria is saying in order for women or children to be the fittest, they have to be born of of it. Uh Yeah. Uh Love is part of it. That is really interesting. Okay. Yeah. So only sex based in mutual desire and reciprocal benefit is virtuous and pure And she states that sexuality is the physiological basis of character and intelligence and points to sexual relations as the place to begin the work of improving the race. Where do they get this shit from? Like, like you said, just like their own experiences (laughs) and not having great counseling. I mean, it sounds like she's saying like, okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but she's saying like, you have to be in love and like enjoying sex in order for your baby to be healthy and strong. Yes. Yeah. Okay. This is the idea. If, yeah. if it's forced on you through this marriage that you don't want to be a part of. Akin oh, to you mean slavery. like if you get raped, you can just shut that down if you oh, don't want to get pregnant. Who yeah, said that? Just some damn Senator. Yeah. So you just gross. like clamp those, clamp it up. Then you yeah. should be good to go. Okay. Yep. yep yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, she like just keeps going with the relation of marriage to slavery. And she said at one point it was claimed and proven as I claim and shall prove of marriage that the instances of extreme cruelty were sufficiently numerous to condemn the system of slavery and to demand its abolition. Proportionally, the instances of extreme cruelty in marriage are double what they were in slavery and cover a much broader field 
involving all the known methods by which the body can be tortured and the heart crushed Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's always a good white woman idea to talk about your heartbreak in the same sentence (laughs) as the horrible slavery systematic generational (laughs) crimes against humanity exactly Mm. and that your your Mm. heartbreak is actually worse than that worse it's worse Mm -hmm. worse yikes Mm -hmm. um so she gave several addresses and published various books um one of her addresses in 1871 was titled children their rights and privileges in that she claimed that a perfect humanity must come of perfect children um, no she pressure though, kids. The, no pressure. Yeah, no. Nope. Just Stakes all on are really you. low. <laughs> now here's some paint and color your picture and don't mess up. Perfect children. <laughs> <laughs> the fate of the world rests on your shoulders. Yeah. 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 So she mentions the importance of having the best seed to be able to have children that can grow into functional adults, the nurturing of parents to children, the wickedness of abortion that gets in there somehow Mm -hmm. because abortion causes all sorts of genetic problems somehow. Um, So she promotes these eugenic efforts. A big portion of feminists also start to advocate for eugenics. Um, And a lot of these women thought there were too many children in families that shouldn't have them and supported families with fewer children. And in 1876 speech in New Jersey, Woodhull placed greater importance on eugenics than the importance of obtaining the rights for women to vote, mentioning that women's suffrage was unimportant compared to creating a more superior human race. Yeah. So... So icky. I mean, these women aren't the other only ones. Do you remember the name Frances Willard? Yeah. From suffragism. So she was president of the Women's Christian Temperance Union for a long time. Yeah. She was also like a eugenicist of sorts, except for like in this branch of it called euthenics, which was more about like focused on the environment than it was on the genes. And how that can then lead to degeneracy. Cause there's also this scientist whose name I remember. Oh, all my biology professors would be so disappointed in me, but Lamarck, <laughs> like there's this Lamarckian oh, yeah. belief that inheritance comes from like your environment, that, that things like alcoholism or like mm. medical diseases can then influence genetics and be passed down. So this whole idea of Gilman's like that syphilis could then become hereditary is more of like a euthenics idea. Hmm. But that was like part of um, Willard's whole eugenics involvement and like the Women's Christian Temperance Union and their um, anti-alcohol like prohibitionist stance, Mm -hmm. because that could lead to more degenerate forms of society and having to like clean up all of these environmental ills that were leading Mm -hmm. to degenerates Mm -hmm. and stuff. So all of these women were somehow like had their fingers in these eugenics ideas. So as we say, gross, just gross, gross, icky. Well, what's interesting, I kind of want us to have on a geneticist to be like, what do current genetics understand about all of these things? Like what, because it is the science behind it is really fascinating. Although you have what I think my takeaway is from the first couple episodes is just the ways that the ways that both even quote good science gets used for really horrible purposes yeah. or the what counts as science is very bad, <laughs> like not not scientific at all. Like both all. of those things seem to be playing out here. It's interesting. I, I cannot for the life of me remember why we talked about Charlotte before, but I'm going to dig back through and see if I can find that. It's really just so hard to hear their, like what tough upbringings they had and what Mm -hmm. just like hard lives they led that, that clearly took them down these paths. Yeah. 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 So much of this anyway. Yeah. So then this, I think the next time we talk about this there's some more feminists involved in it but they are very involved in the um women's reproductive rights and so then we're going to get into how Mm -hmm. like the early days of birth control Mm -hmm. and like the pre-planned parenthood ideas 
were actually very based in eugenics and then talk about like forced sterilization in the oh, United God. States and uh, how long that continued um, in our history. So well, before we go next time, guys. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, before we go today, do you want to shout out any historians or any, I know we'll link on our website, artedlaundrypodcast.com, yes. but anyone you want to shout out in particular? Yeah, we'll put up some um, links of things that I use. There is a paper where a lot of this came from um, that was published, so, oh, I guess, about a while ago now, 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, Dana Seitler wrote Unnatural Selection, Mother's Eugenic Feminism, and Charlotte Perkin Gilman's Regeneration Narratives that she just mm-hmm. goes through like her writings and like where all of this came from and mm-hmm. reframing them, um, looking at them from like these feminist ideals mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how she got to there. So that, I mean, it's very, very in-depth and very interesting read on that. Um, and then there was another article um, written by a woman named Stephanie Athey. And this was back in 2000, but where she talks about eugenic feminisms in the late 19th century. Mm. Um, and she talks about Woodhull and then she gets into some stuff, more stuff with Francis Willard and then even Ida B. Wells coming into the eugenics really? um, framework, which I didn't get much into because I think we talked about earlier. Yeah. Well, when we first started this podcast, like, yes, there may have been other women um, that were not white who had some role in some of these really troubling histories, but that's not really what we're going to focus yeah. on. Like yeah. we're here to call out the white women. Like, yep. So yep. anyway, but well, there's a lot of stuff there. So. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when you dig just a little bit, it's <laughs> always there. It's always there. Uh, so guys, we will talk to you next time. Have a great week, really everybody. Dark stuff. Dark, okay. dark stuff. Dark Thank stuff. you. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye.